Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. Joining me today is Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Bill Adair, the creator of PolitiFact and the co-founder of the International Fact-Checking Network. Bill is a Knight Professor of Journalism and Public Policy at Duke University, where he researches new ways to expand fact-checking and combat misinformation. He's currently working on a book about lying in politics. In today's episode, Bill explores the transformative impact of generative AI on fact-checking and his work at the Duke Reporters Lab using generative AI. Welcome to Newsroom Robots, Bill. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. So I've been looking forward to our conversation today to get a lot of answers from your wealth of experience uh, because we've been exploring how generative AI presents a lot of opportunities for journalism, but there's this growing sense of unease and a lot of concern in the industry right now about its ability to rapidly create and spread misinformation and disinformation. We've already witnessed examples of this, like with ChatGPT just hallucinating, making up fake Guardian articles that sound just like their journalist would write it. Then you're seeing AI gendered images go viral like that of Trump in handcuffs or something like Pope in Balenciaga. And the information ecosystem has already been under pressure from a lot of these bad actors, polarization and just a constant stream of misinformation. And now with generative AI, I want to get your views on 
the whole generative AI and entire mis and disinfo landscape, how do you see it impacting our entire information ecosystem? You bet. Well, it's an exciting time and it's also, as with anything new, it creates lots of uncertainty and the uncertainty breeds fear. And so people see this and they immediately start worrying. And, you know, we think about 2001, a space odyssey and, you know, the astronaut outside the spaceship saying, you know, Hal, open the pod bay doors and Hal doesn't open them. Uh, and that's sort of our vision of AI run amok. So I think it's natural that we're afraid that when technology becomes as smart or smarter than than us, that we begin to worry. And I want to get your thoughts on the situation that we're in right now with the pressure that's on our information ecosystem. Just in March, the Duke Reporters Lab put out a review that showed that many politicians' claims in the U.S., especially at the local level, go unchecked. And now we have this added challenge of AI-generated images, chatbots hallucinating and fabricating information, and just the potential for a constant creation of misinformation. How are we as the news industry now going to be able to keep up with that speed of misinformation that's going to be generated? Yeah, well, let's let's take those things separately because they're very distinct things. So I think everyone is aware that the news business is in a period of great turmoil. The legacy news organizations have been contracting in painful ways, and newspapers in particular have shrunk in dramatic and quite difficult ways, and that has reduced the number of reporters that are covering local government, that are covering state government, and they're just fewer boots on the ground that are holding politicians accountable. So that's that's a problem. In my world, in political fact-checking, that manifests itself in that politicians are able to say things without getting checked, and that's very disappointing. I started PolitiFact in 2007, and in the 16 years since then, there are fewer fact-checkers probably and in various areas because news organizations, particularly newspapers, just don't have the resources to put into fact-checking. So that's a problem. We put out the report that you just referenced here in our Duke University Reporters Lab that showed dramatically how little state and local politicians are fact-checked, and that's very scary. So, for example, a governor, only about half the governors in the United States got fact-checked. The percentages are much lower for U.S. senators, dramatically lower for U.S. representatives, and just a sliver of mayors and state legislators get fact-checked. So, you know, think of it like what are their odds of getting a speeding ticket for racing down the highway? Tiny. You know, there's just they can lie with impunity because they know they're not going to get fact-checked. So that's really worrisome to me and to a lot of people. But here we are at this moment of new technology that creates great promise, but also some scary things. And so generative AI creates some opportunities to remedy this situation. And so I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, my God, you know, ChatGPT is like uh, hallucinating. I'm not so worried about that. And 
I think that those sorts of things can be fixed. And what would you say would be the fixes, really? Because as the technology just gets better and better, how are we going to be able to keep up with that speed of misinformation that's going to be generated? Sure. I think it's important. There's been a lot of huffing and puffing about generative AI and its mistakes here in this first incarnation. And I would liken this to the people who say, and they're like, ah, this stuff will never work. This would be like the people who at Kitty Hawk in 1903 watched the Wright brothers plane and said, ah, that plane, planes will never fly. That plane could only go 108 feet. And, you know, that's silly. What we're seeing here is the absolute first generation of this technology, both in generating words and images. And so it's going to get better. It's going to get much better and it's already gotten better. And so we shouldn't scoff at it. We also shouldn't be afraid about it. We just need to look at ways to make it better. And, and so I'm amazed <laughs> that so many of my colleagues have made such a big deal of, you know, oh, you know, it's, it's terrible. It got this wrong and it got that wrong. Well, of course, you know, and, you know, the Wright brothers crashed the first planes that they flew. That's how we advance human effort, you know, is by trial and error. And so that's what's going on here, both with the images and with words. So what can make it better? So one of the problems, of course, with generative text is that we don't know where it's getting its information. And so clearly we have to make sure that these large language models begin to point to dependable sources and reference them. And that, that doesn't exist under the current, the current structure of large language models. And so we need to redesign them so that they show their work, so that they show their sources, so that we know, oh, well, this information came from PolitiFact or factcheck.org or the Washington Post fact checker. And, you know, the problem with them is they have these giant brains that's basically the web <laughs> and we don't know, you know, the Internet and we don't know where it got its knowledge. And, you know, it's essentially just a guessing machine that's like guessing what the next word should be, what the next pixel should be. And so the creators need to make that better. They will. You know, I have no doubt. And the latest versions are better than the previous versions. So it's getting better. Yeah. And generative AI, just the same way as it's helping automate processes in journalism, it's also helping automate the production of misinformation in the same way. And we are just grappling with a future of a widespread creation and dissemination of this type of content, which is going to increasingly overload our information ecosystem. So how do you envision newsrooms and fact-checking organizations evolving to tackle this kind of surge in mis and disinfo that might arise from all of these advancements? So, well, the problem with individual newsrooms is they don't have the resources to do much of this, so they need help. And so what we're hoping to do is help them, help them leverage their small resources to combat misinformation. And I think one way we can do that, for example, in in American politics, it's common that politicians have talking points. So a politician in 
Virginia will repeat the same line that's been said by a politician in Florida. Now, there may not be a fact checker in Virginia to check the new instance, but there might have been one in Florida who did it. And with large networks of fact checkers like we have today, you can easily match those claims. So the politician in Florida says something, say, about immigration, and then the politician in Virginia essentially repeats it. So that creates an opportunity to use AI to match those claims and then use generative AI to generate a new fact check on the the new claim by the politician in Virginia. Now, that's good, but it's risky because as we know, you know, generative AI can make mistakes. It can make assumptions that are wrong. We've all seen examples of that. So we have a concept that we call half-baked pizza. And this is like if you go to a supermarket and you want to have a good pizza, but you don't want to go through all the hassle of making it, you get a pizza that's half-baked, take it home, you tear the wrapper off, you stick it in the oven. So our concept is essentially the same with a fact check. Generative AI presents the journalist with a half-baked pizza, a fact check that takes the original content from what happened in Florida, adapts it to the new claim by the politician in Virginia, and presents the half-baked pizza to the editor who says, yup, yup, yeah, the ingredients are fine, let's put it in the oven. And so that fact check then gets published and distributed to the audience in Virginia. Or the editor can say, no, we need to move some pepperonis around, let's, uh, you know, let's put some more onions on it. And okay, now it's ready. Now we'll put it in the oven. And so this is the human in the loop concept to use a technology term to make sure that the content is accurate. You're still benefiting from the savings of human effort from technology, but with a human in the loop, you're ensuring the quality of it and that you're not putting out journalism that's inaccurate. So I think that's one way we can fill a gap in local journalism, benefit from work that's been done by a human fact checker in another area who has checked essentially the same claim. Yeah, and I want to learn more of the kind of work that's being done at Duke Reporters Lab. I mean, the development of the squash tool was a significant leap forward in automated fact-checking. So could you walk us through the functionality of squash and how it automated fact-checking and what's the future of it? So squash was essentially the first generation of automated fact-checking. And the idea was the dream that a lot of people had, and this goes back to when I started PolitiFact in 2007, of having instant fact-checking. So a politician makes a claim or a campaign commercial comes on and people have an immediate need for information. You know, is that true? They hear the politician say something and they want to know, is that true? So we pioneered, and it's pretty amazing to see a demo of it, a technology we call squash, as in squash the falsehood, that recognizes when a politician says something, we use voiced text to convert the claim to text. We then match it against a giant database that has all the fact checks that have been published by the main fact checkers in the United States. 
And then when there's a match, we pop up on the screen, this is a video tool, a summary of the fact check. It's amazing, you know, that you're cruising along, watching a, a speech or a debate, and the fact check pops up on the screen. It's truly, it puts a chill up your spine, except that it's got some UX problems, some user experience problems, because there isn't time to read what's on the screen. So as cool as this is, it hasn't been an effective tool. We actually haven't released it to the public because we haven't solved this problem. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Of like, how do we summarize it on the screen so that it really is useful to people. And political speech is so dynamic, it moves so fast that even though it's instant having this summary pop up, that by the time people digest it, the politician has said two or three additional things and the person looks up and is like, oh, what, wait, what, oh, what did he say? And so there isn't, there isn't time to digest it and and then kind of resume listening to the speech. So we've thought about pausing the speech, letting people actually interact with the uh, speech in a video way so you would actually take control of the speech yourself like you like it's a DVR. Um, so anyway, we're very excited about it, but now I think the action is going to be in generative AI, not in this kind of pop-up fact-checking. We ran into, and squash was exciting. We did some really groundbreaking things. But ultimately, that UX problem is really hard to conquer. Another one that we found is that there just are not enough fact checks to draw from. So if it's a presidential campaign, there's tons of fact checks. But any other campaign, U.S. Senate, governor, House, for all the reasons I explained earlier that, you know, there's just not that many fact checks because journalists have to crank out fact checks and that takes some time. So squash would not work on a Senate race, would not work on a governor's race even. So we've been, that's another drawback in all that. Anyway, I think the same way we look back at the Wright brothers, we'll look back at squash and we'll say, yeah, you know, the Duke reporters lab flew the plane 108 feet and it was cool, but we haven't built the 747 yet. So what is your current focus at the Duke Reporters Lab in terms of shaping the future of fact-checking? What areas are you primarily concentrating on at the moment? 
So generative AI, and in two ways, the one that I talked about in terms of cloning fact checks in making half-baked pizza, and then the other side is how the bad guys are going to use it, because we don't know how they're going to use it, but we know they will. And so how will the forces of evil use generative AI to target their misinformation in devious ways. You know, it makes it possible to micro-target lies at scale, I mean, in frightening ways. You know, it used to be you would have one website that would have all the false stuff on it. And so that was this pink slime that my colleagues here at Duke have studied, and that you would have just, you know, these garbage websites, and there would be like one for an area. Well, now you have the potential that these messages, whether through a website or through targeted email or WhatsApp messages, can be targeted directly to people based on their how they their behavior online, how they what they click on, their cookies, um, whatever. So it's frightening in some ways that it will be easier than ever for the forces of evil to spread misinformation that really targets people in their vulnerabilities. And so that's um, an area where we're going to be doing research in the next couple of years. And as you were saying, there's so much of data that platforms are able to collect on people. And now with this introduction of generative AI coming into the mix, we are in this situation where a lot of bad actors can automate misinformation and prey upon vulnerable populations. How do you see newsrooms and what's the role that journalism is going to play in helping people deal with this surge of bad actors? So I think newsrooms' roles will, I think they'll continue to do a lot of the same things they've been doing. The work of tracking down who the, the people are behind misinformation is still going to be a human enterprise. Um, I don't think that generative AI is going to be able to figure out who the bad guys are behind the devious forms of generative AI. So I think that's still going to be a task for the best investigative reporters. I also think political fact-checking will still require human fact-checkers to create the core fact-checks, sort of the individual unit fact-checks that can then be drawn from for other, for other uses. If you go back to when I created PolitiFact in 2007, I envisioned even back then, and this is, I shouldn't take all the credit for this, this was also very much a function of my collaborator, Matt Waite, who's now at the University of Nebraska, that we created PolitiFact not just as journalism, but as data. And so each fact check is an entry in a database. This politician made that claim and got that rating, you know, half true or false or pants on fire. And so that structure of our journalism was quite innovative in 2007. It's actually still innovative in 2023. And so that unit of journalism, I think, will still matter and will still be needed to power a lot of things in this new age of AI. So that's another thing that newsrooms will do. I think newsrooms will still have to write that original fact check. 
it will then be cloned. You know, to me, this conjures the image of those robots in Star Wars Episode One or Two, whichever it was. Those guys that have the guns and you know get blown away. But this is, I think, you need you need a kind of a root piece of journalism that will be created by a human. And so far, what would you say has really been that milestone in automated fact-checking? Uh, what's the state we are in right now and where are we headed? So I think one key has been the adoption of a schema called claim review. So this is a standard that most of the fact-checkers in the world, particularly most of the big ones, use to tag their fact-checks so they can be more readily identified by Google and other search engines. And that makes automated fact-checking possible in lots of ways because the various kinds of automation, whether it's an app like Squash or just a bot on Twitter or anything that someone might invent, can draw from a database of claim review entries to find the root fact checks. And so, uh, so I think that has advanced the plot a lot. And I'm really proud of that. We helped develop it here at Duke, helped develop claim review along with Google. And Google has been very generous, I think, with that, hasn't, you know, hasn't considered it proprietary. The, it's an open standard with schema.org. And so I think that makes automated fact-checking a lot more available. I do think the big, biggest challenge in automated fact-checking and in really all journalism continues to be the partisan divide. Um, in the United States, there's just such a trust problem that really breaks along partisan lines because for decades, people on the right have been hearing that they can't trust the news media and so that creates a real serious issue, I think, when journalists that are truly unbiased, or at least as unbiased as you could hope for, do good fact-checking journalism, it's rejected by people on the right simply because it's coming from journalists. And, and that, I think, is a serious, serious problem that we haven't figured out an answer to. Also, since you are a professor at Duke now, I want to quickly touch upon journalism schools in the age of generative AI and get your thoughts on what do you think are the key skills and knowledge that journalism students need to be knowing in order to be well prepared for a future with AI? What's funny, you know, I teach, I teach a variety of different kinds of courses. I still think like the most important course is news writing and reporting. Like, you know, I think students have to learn how to how to write and how to go out and interview people and how to write different kinds of stories. And so I don't know that we need to change how we teach a lot. The basic skills of journalism, reporting, going out and talking to people, hearing their stories and then writing them in a compelling way, whether it's a, a narrative or a fact check, I think that's still the the basic thing that is needed. And so I don't know that journalism education has to change an awful lot. I mean, I think we still want to arm them with things like to understand things in the digital world, like search engine optimization and social media. And, but the most important thing to me is, can you do interviews and can you write? 
Yeah. Are you able to bring in that added value of what it means to have a human in the loop with AI? That's something that's going to be important now. And I just want to wrap things up by kind of hearing your thoughts on how do you see the future of fact-checking evolving? We've been making a lot of strides towards automated fact-checking. And now with AI, where are we headed? So I'm optimistic. I really do think AI presents lots of opportunities to scale fact-checking in new ways and reverse some of these market forces that have been so difficult for journalists. And I do think it's early enough that we, the journalists, can learn how to use these new technologies and harness them. So I'm hopeful. I mean, I can see a world in which we still have a good force of human journalists that are doing the important work of political fact-checking and that it's being amplified by a, an impressive group of bots uh, that take that work and clone it and use it in places that it never would have been published before. So I'm pretty optimistic about it. I also think we'll have moments of awakening where we'll realize what the forces of evil are doing with this technology. But I think we'll, we'll be able to respond to that. You know, there was a moment, we shouldn't forget this, a moment maybe 10 years ago when we thought we would never conquer spam, the terrible junk email that we used to get all the time that would just clog our email inbox. And now if you think about your inbox, there's a lot of stuff in there, but it's because you subscribe to it. You know, it's not so much spam because spam filters got really good. And to a large extent, we have won the war against spam. And that's because Google and Microsoft and others put some good engineers on that problem. And they figured out how to identify spam and, you know, and they weeded it out of the system. And so I think likewise, it'll take us a little bit of time, but we'll identify the people who are using generative AI to create bad stuff. And there'll be moments where we're like, oh, we got fooled by this or that. And, you know, that may be the Pope in a puffy white jacket, or that may be uh, a bad photo of Trump being arrested by a cop with six fingers. But I think that there will be, but we'll figure it out. And um, that's what we do. And I think people will, will eventually be better informed because of this moment. That's a really hopeful future you're painting for us amid all the concern that's been in the industry. So this has been a great conversation. And you think that even though generative AI and all of this has the potential for a lot of harm, we would be more equipped to kind of like deal with it and the resources that this would bring about. Yeah. I mean, what's the alternative? You know, like just give up and die, you know, like, I mean, I think a lot of my colleagues like to worry about stuff and get depressed and, you know, instead I'm, I'm about, let's figure out what's wrong and fix it. And let's take this new technology and harness it and use it to fight the bad guys. 
So I'm up for that. <laughs> well, it's reassuring to hear that we are working towards using this technology now to fight the bad guys. And this has been a really great and optimistic discussion about the future with generative AI. Bill, you've kind of put to rest a lot of those concerns I brought up in the beginning. So <laughs> it's great to have you on the show. And thank you so much for doing this. You bet. Happy to do it. That was Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Bill Adair, the creator of PolitiFact, co-founder of the International Fact-Checking Network, and the Knight Professor of Journalism and Public Policy at Duke University. Subscribe to Newsroom Robots on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. This episode was made possible thanks to the Spark Ground from the Harvard Innovation Labs. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots.